Hello and welcome to Where Creatives Connect. If you've not joined us so far, this is the podcast that brings you the behind the scenes of creative folk from literally all over the world. Poets, writers, dancers, actors, musicians, you name it, I'll have them on and it's my job to dig into their lives, their processes, and I suppose their journey as to what got them to where they are today. Today, I am joined by a very, uh, a very close friend of mine that I don't get to see as much as I would like. And I've actually just remembered as I'm speaking, you were the first person that was on my initial attempt at this about five or six years ago. What? Last time you were over in the UK, no, the second last time I saw you over in the UK, um, I filmed you for a day. I'm not sure you were aware oh, yeah. of this. No, <laughs> I had completely forgotten about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that, was, that was called Void, my creative void. And that was the first kind of attempt at this interview series. Hmm. And I put it to bed for five years. Hmm. And now you're back on today. I had not made that, even though I'm staying at Ben's house, I had not made that connection or even thought about it once. Um, Here we go. So, Ben Fagin, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. How are you? How's life treating you? Yes, very well, thank you. Um, I had not remembered that, but now I do. We're in the lovely, sunny, slightly windy town of Wellington. And thank you for having me, by the way. Um, how would you describe Wellington as a city, a place that you have lived for a number of years now, hmm. um, creatively? How would I describe it creatively? Well, we do call it a city, and it is what passes for a city in New Zealand, but it's in the vicinity of 300,000 people, and that's the greater region. Um, so compared to most cities, it's not particularly large. Um, and I guess any creative community, but certainly the creative community here is pretty small. Um, which has massive downsides and massive upsides. Um, you end up working with a lot of different people and meeting a lot of different people in different fields and getting a lot of opportunities that you might not if you were particularly siloed in some enormous proper grown-up city. Yeah. Um, but it's a beautiful place and, and like a lot of places in New Zealand, you know, there's a lot of nature around, there's a lot of um, beauty and places to think and um, it's a nice spot. I like it. Mm. Now, I've brushed over who you are and what you do for mm -hmm. a living. And one of the questions I, I go to early on in this interview, it's quite a tricky one for creatives because a lot of creatives are multidisciplinarians. If uh, you had a new person come up to you, say, on a, on a bus, mm. like we were yesterday, um, and they said, what do you do for a living? Mm. What do you say? Oh man, <clears throat> um, I say that I work in the arts. <laughs> nice, um, it's true. It is true, yeah. And it usually throws people to the point where they either don't ask another question <laughs> or I have the time to kind of get away before they do. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I followed this up with Vanessa yesterday. Do you ever change the answer if you've got a, a feeling that they might get it or you know they are a creative person as well? Are you able to kind of get more specific quickly or do you still just brush it off? I think I usually just brush it off um, because of the nature of what I do and there's just so many different hats and in different industries mm. that um, usually <laughs> they either know where I work or the kind of things or, or you know, if they're generally interested, then I can chat about working across different sectors. Um, but arts kind of covers it, multitude of sins. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, I'm going to dive into one of the uh, the roads that you drive. Mm -hmm. um, let's start with motif poetry. Okay. Could you explain what that is to our listeners at home? Sure. Motif poetry, Ruri Tutohu, um, is a spoken word poetry, performance poetry production company um, that I started with my partner, Sarah Hirsch, when we came back from London to New Zealand to live um, about five years ago. Um, and we put poets places, we back poets, we advocate for poets um, with a basis in spoken word and performance poetry, um, but also all kinds of poets. Um, and mostly we work in live performance, education and digital. Um, so platforming poets in those, in those three ways up and down the country now, five years in. It's really impressive hearing all of the different um, slams and all of the different 
prelims and all of the different communities that you've brought into with this bigger community across mm. New Zealand, it'd be really easy for you as a poet yourself to just go, uh, I'm just going to work on myself and just, mm. you know, just, just do me, just gig myself. Mm. Um, what was it that really drove you to, to actually get this off the ground running? Because it's a lot of, a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds kind of cliched, but wanting to give others the opportunities that we had. Mm. Um, New Zealand and art space in New Zealand is like a lot of places where often if a key, if a key person in a community moves away, then the whole thing can fall apart mm. um, and then just not happen. You know, none of these things are guaranteed. You know, even if an event has been running for 10 plus years, it's not a it's no guarantee that it's just going to keep happening, um, which is a trick some people fall into, I think. Um, yeah, so we thought that we could, you know, generate a bit of what we were up to in the UK, where there's obviously a bigger population, and we were able to do um, a lot more in a in a solo writer performer kind of way, um, and set up some opportunities here and kind of bring others along for the ride as much as we could. Um, yeah, that was kind of the motivation. I, I really like that, and it's really it's really important to actually bring others up around you. Um, mm. I think it's very easy for new performers or new creatives to feel a sense of competition that they need to maybe squash others down to bring them up but actually mm. it, from what i've seen the opposite is true when you bring others up around you the landscape is just better overall mm. um now to give people an idea of what some of your events look like mm. um slam poetry is, one yep. is is one of the things that happens. Yes. <laughs> That's one of them. Um, <laughs> able to explain... Uh, well, actually, it doesn't have to just be slam, but mm. able to explain what some of your events would look like. Yeah, so we, we try to make sure that there's a progression for people who are becoming involved with Motif and the work that we do. Um, so slam is a competitive format where poets compete and there are random audience judges um, and there's a winner by the end of it, a slam champion. And all of this is obviously nonsense, made up words. Um, and you can't judge art with numbers, nor should you. Um, but we do. <laughs> and it's, it's, uh, it's amazing how much you can get people involved, you can sell tickets, you can bring audience in, people who've never probably or possibly engaged with poetry. Mm. And how when there's a sense of stakes and when there's a sense of, of competition, um, you can see them in the audience, people will start whispering to one another, you know, like, mm. oh, I really think they should have got through, or I really think they did well and what they're actually doing is engaging with poetry you know possibly for the first time um it is an all access event though slam um just like an open mic or wandering into a free workshop you know um uh it, it's a place where poets of any level can kind of come together and play this game mm. um but it is often we think of it as as a first kind of stepping stone um, because it's all access it gives opportunities and then there's a whole big wide world of performance and poetry out there that we that we try to cater to at different levels so going on to make your own show or to write or to publish um, whatever success looks like for any particular poet or writer um, we try to kind of give those options and give those stepping stones for people um, so that they could walk off the street into a slam or an open mic that we run um, and then see a bit of a pathway for themselves to yeah whatever success looks like i think it's really important what you're doing with slam poetry i mean it's not been around that long has it would you say it like started a... in the 80s in boston and it kind of spread around the world the first ones in new zealand were around the, the millennium like yeah. 2000 it's pretty um, young for an, a, an a, a, a subset of an art form yeah yeah and it's always it's it kind of peaks and troughs i think in terms of its popularity or mm. its kind of general cut through um yeah, but it, it kind of comes and goes out of the public consciousness. It'll pop up in a movie and mm -hmm. there'll be a burst and or someone who's done well in slam overseas will pivot to music and become famous or end up on a TV show and bring some of their slam or spoken word poetry with them and they'll do this and then it'll kind of drift away from it. And... I feel you. And there's two things that I've always really valued about it. Mm. The first one is you can be exceptionally inclusive like mm. it can be all levels it can mm. be um all amounts of experience and i think that's that's wonderful mm. the second thing and i spoke to kelsey about this when i was at her studios it's a form of competition within arts mm. that i actually i actually like mm -hmm. and I, I think the reason i like it is 
it's not that it doesn't take itself seriously, it's still very important, but that the focus is not necessarily on the win. Mm. It's about the engagement. And that's a really important thing because, um, again, there was an, uh, somebody else on the podcast, Ashley Stilburn, who was, uh, he was on the West End in Phantom of the Opera and things like that. He's now transitioning into teaching a lot. And he was talking about how he likes to use competitive or the competitive nature of young people to engage them and mm. then get on with the learning mm -hmm. uh, early on. And I, I feel the same is true in SLAM in that you're able to just bring people very, very quickly up to speed with what's going on mm. and you're all on the same page mm. for that brief chunk of time. So mm. I think it's great. Yeah, it's interesting, eh? Like we, we put a lot of effort into before, during and after a, a poetry slam to convey that the points are very don't matter, that they're very silly, that it's a game we're playing and yes. that it's all going to be okay afterwards. Mm -hmm. In saying that, when you have a winner, you can't get away from the fact that there is a competition mm. and that uh, someone's going to win <laughs> yeah. and lose. Um, and we do everything we can. Of course, some people, you, you know, it, it still hurts if you, if you don't get scored poorly yeah. or if you don't get through a certain round or something, you know. Um, and so it's, it's our job. Our job is to kind of smooth that over as much as we can and, and let people know that that uh, it's a mad thing to do, you know, uh, assign numbers to art, um, mm. which is why it's important that it's random audience members who we give these scorecards to to judge the poems because we're trying to undercut the competitive element at every stage mm. um, as much as we can. Um, but yeah, it, it is amazing. I mean, I, I kind of... I get why people enjoy sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, or why there's such an audience reaction, you know, when, you, when you've got those stakes and that investment. I mean, comedy has the laugh, right? Mm. Like if a joke, a joke can fail when it doesn't get a laugh. And poetry isn't quite the same. Poetry has a lot, a, a lot, uh, a lot more breadth to it. And it's got a longer burn. At, like, yeah. More, you're right, a joke can kind of happen in a mm. moment and then it's often moved on. Um, and yeah, you can have the arc of the show, but, Generally, that's what it is. It's back and forth. It's like tennis. Yeah, yeah. And, there, and there's stakes in comedy because there's the idea of failing, of bombing, of mm. if people don't laugh, then is it comedy? You know, what's going on? <laughs> True. Whereas if you've got a poetry show or you're performing poetry or reading poetry, it can make you happy. It can make you sad. It can be funny. It can be mm. devastating, you know, whatever it is. Um, so there aren't those stakes in the same way. Um, and Slam can give those stakes, at least at this, this kind of entry level, um, which can be really, really useful. It's not for everyone. I've never won a slam in my life. Um, I like did a few as a performer mm. when I was first getting involved in, in poetry and spoken mm. word. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't for me, but I can see how it is for a lot of people. Mm. Um, and you can, you can, you know, get audiences involved quite quickly in it. And it's full of exciting, bizarre words like slam and champion and these kind of things. So it's an easy sell as well. And yeah. that, that makes it a bit more sustainable than just running an open mic. Would you say that a lot of people's um, poetry gears up towards comedy because you get those reactions or those that immediate thing when it comes to slam? Um, interesting question. It really depends on the community. Um, even within New Zealand, you know, in different places, so there's all these kind of regional competitions that happen throughout the year, and then the national final in Auckland. Um, and, you know, regions or groups of poets will go through these trends of being, you know, erring on the side of comedy poetry or, or being particularly activist or particularly, um, yeah, t taking on different styles at different times. And a lot of that's to do with the community, who's in that community, who's writing in what ways, how they're influencing each other, how they're supporting each other. Um, Often the, the poems, I think, in Slam around the world um, that do particularly well are ones that really land an emotional punch, um, not necessarily a, a comedic one. Mm. Um, and you'll see that there's a lot of stuff online, recommend you and your listeners check out. Um, uh, and a lot, of, a lot of spoken word, to the point where it's almost become known as that, a Slam poem has almost become known as this like extremely activist, extremely emotional um, piece, which it isn't necessarily, but often um, that's the power of the art form, is that within three minutes, with your own writing, with no props, no costume, no music, you can actually land some really intense emotional, emotional weight uh, to a piece of writing into a performance, which is pretty amazing, you know, there's no yeah. set, there's no cast, you know, you don't even need a microphone, you don't, yes. even, you don't yeah. even need a spotlight, you don't need anything, you just need um, 
someone listening. And that's also a, a really wonderful thing about the format is how accessible it is. You know, you don't even necessarily need to know how to read and write, mm. you know, to tell the story and to put your own words behind your experience. It helps. Um, but, but it's a reason that, you know, it's a great tool for teachers. It's a great tool to take into schools. Um, it has this element of performance and live and excitement um, while being, yeah, anyone can take part in it. I, I think everything that I see from, from afar with, um, with your events and motif poetry is, is really inspirational uh, to see how much it's grown uh, over the years. So amazing work. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's, really, it's really cool. Now, I want to move on to you as, a, as an artist. Oh, my goodness. I know. Uh, <laughs> one of the first uh, times we properly connected was around 2015. Mm-hmm. And you came very kindly over to the Edinburgh Fringe. Mm. Um, I was part of running a venue. Mm-hmm. And um, you brought your one-man show mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. Some Traveller. Uh, Under the Table, that one was called. Wow, my brain is really not on it today. No, that's all right. Um, (laughs) Yes, it was. And you had, I remember, sorry, the picture of you with the beer on the flyer. Yeah, I remember. That was a great flyer. (laughs) Um, So you are, you've not only been a New Zealand artist, you've come over to the UK. Did you go to America as well? I just imagine that. I did some gigs in America. Yeah. Yeah. It was mostly a a three-month holiday, but I did a lot of gigs. Slipped some gigs in whilst, (laughs) yeah, it's nice. Now, you spent some time in the UK, two mm. years? Two and a bit, yeah, two and a, bit. and a half. You gigged, you worked. Um, what was your biggest kind of... Actually, no, before we dive into your, your thoughts on it, what did you do in the UK? What were you up to? Well, I came to Edinburgh mm. uh, and did the show for a week, for eight days, which is short compared to a lot of people's Edinburgh runs, but was um, a, a huge hill to climb for me to... <laughs> off the plane and do it do it there but it was really wonderful and i really enjoyed and appreciated the opportunity met my partner during that time actually in edinburgh i stayed we stayed for the month um and then moved down to london um and i mean creatively i just got amongst it as much as i could Mm. um gigged and gigged and gigged and figured out the scene and um, moving from i was living in wellington before then so moving from wellington where there's there was one a, a Lovely community who met um, in a significant way once a month. Um, moving from that environment to one where there was a different event, a different community that I could engage with every day of the week. Yeah, in that's London, impressive. Yeah. Um, if I wanted to, and I did want to, so I did. Um, was amazing. Yeah, amazing. And, and it took a while, um, at least a year, to start to get the sense that not all communities are the same as well, you know. I mean, first of all, in, in poetry, and as, as in lots of creative communities, um, it is kind of a pre-built uh, family and and uh, support network that you can just step into, or spoken word was at least at that point, um, which I was, was and am extremely grateful for. You know, I kind of stepped into this world in Edinburgh and then in London um, of poets who were very like-minded, um, lots of wonderful writers and performers. Um, I made a lot of great friends who are still friends um, up and down the UK um, and in the States um, through just stepping into that world, you know. Mm. And um, there's something really vulnerable as well when your community is based on getting up on stage, delivering your own writing in your own words uh, and then seeing everyone else do the same. (laughs) It's actually a really vulnerable place to be in. Um, And of course, you know, you're thinking all the time, what what kind of version of myself or what what writing am I going to put out there? Um, and, uh, yeah, which, which was, which was very good. And so, um, I had a year selling clothes at a high end retail store that I was placed in, um, as a temp and I stayed for a year, which was fascinating and a whole nother story. Um, did you get any poetry out of that? Yes. Uh, yep. Big time. The, the show, so my partner Sarah and I wrote a show about that and then took it back to the fringe the following year um, had my experiences there um, as well as um, Sarah's own kind of experiences and plot lines um, and we did the full run of the fringe um, the following year 28 shows or something in, in 31 days or something ridiculous um, yeah yeah and then uh, and then after a year of, of working and gigging a lot in London I got a job um, doing some 
digital media marketing stuff at a place called Apples and Snakes, who is the UK's premier national spoken word organisation, um, which is a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful opportunity to, to step into that space and start to see administratively how an arts organisation um, can do the work that it does and platform people all over the place. And so, yeah, that was it. And that was my first, you know, proper salaried arts job. Um, and I learned a lot. Would you say a lot of the things you would have learned with Apples and Snakes you were able to uh, use within developing Motif? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, definitely. It, it's really important to kind of take note of those keystones that, mm. you know, align you uh, with what you want to be be doing. Mm, now, mm, mm. I've got a question for you that I, I don't think I've asked you. Mm. You talked about the contrast of, say, Wellington, what, what meeting once a month, mm. your community over here, um, and then you go to London, mm. and it's every night of the week, so it's, in one respect, thriving. Mm. But you're back here, mm. you're living here. Mm. What was it, and it doesn't have to be artistic <laughs> reasons, um, what was it that made you want to come back over here mm. to establish yourselves and create your own company? Mm. Uh, a whole bunch of reasons, really. You know, you're away from family for a period of time. Um, different people feel different amounts of connection to the place they're from, I guess. Um, and I've always felt particularly strongly connected to this place, mm. very grounded here. Um, London is a fantastic place. <laughs> um, you can feel like you're, 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 you're quite far from the ground mm. wherever you are um, and somewhat kind of un, yeah disconnected um, yeah probably probably loads of reasons um, we're keen to try to s we, we knew there was a great opportunity and a, a lot of potential here to set up something like motif um, and take a lot of what we had learned so Sarah was a full-time gigging poet, touring poet at the time, and then I was, I was working for Apples and Snakes, and so we were very much in that world and learning a lot during, the, during that period. Um, and yeah, was keen to give it a, give it a go. <laughs> I, I think it's really important to uh, note that because it's so easy for people to go, ah, oh, London or New York, you've made it on some scene. Mm. Uh, and that's very, very true, but also you've got to be honest with yourself with what makes you uh, a good human mm. and uh, what makes you exactly who you are. So mm. um, I admire you for making that decision as well. Oh, I admire you for coming over in the first place because we were young. Yes. Uh, how old were you when you came over to Edinburgh, first of all? 23. Yeah, that's, that's young. Yeah. That's really young. Not far off 22, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just turned, yeah. Um, it, those are very, very big plunges. Mm. Um, Take us back now. Mm. None of these things happen by accident. You know, mm. you don't sort of stumble into a life without some steering from early on. Mm. What was your upbringing like in terms of the arts, mm. creativity um, from your community and family? Certainly my immediate family, there wasn't a... I mean, my mother is very creative, um, not in a performance way necessarily, um, but... There was loads of you know creative activities and everything else. Growing up, painting and Play-Doh and <laughs> you know, act, and uh, she ran a craft shop for a couple of summers, um, and it was definitely the encouragement to create. Uh, often, yeah, in, that, in like a more in a more visual kind of medium. Um, I had some. My aunt and uncle were in the music industry, the music business, um, but I didn't see much of them until I was probably in my 20s, so until much later. But And I've often reflected on this, just knowing that that's what they were doing, even kind of subconsciously, probably had an impact, you know? And in the family, there was no denying that it was possible because they were doing it um, in the wider family. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so that probably had, had an impact as well. Um, but no, not a lot of performance elements or understanding of live performance um, until I, yeah, was at primary school and and then I just kind of gravitated towards it. So probably to the amusement and horror of my parents, um, uh, I just very 
it was just in me to sign up for things. It was just in me to sign up for talent shows or <laughs> speech competitions or drama or all these things. Um, and I know that it happened for a few years before this, but my, my first memory is going to the open day as like a 12 year old, the open day of the high school I was, I was going to move to. Okay. And, and wandering past the drama class and there was some kind of year nine drama class doing some silly warm up. Yeah, yeah, dancing yeah. around um, and it had such an impact on me such an impact I don't know what it was about it just the the freedom the silliness of it mm. um, the energy of it it was just like yep 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 that's me that that one mm. <laughs> that one please <laughs> um, I don't know what it was they weren't doing anything particularly <laughs> groundbreaking, groundbreaking. <laughs> I guess it was for you at the time it was yeah, yeah. They're just they're just running around in a circle um, but there was something about it, yeah, um, and and yeah, I was just very instinctively drawn to that um, all throughout my young life. Um, and then when I was in year ten, uh, I, I, I started to get quite lucky that there were just things going on around me. Um, one of which was that this drama teacher that I had at the time um, had started this thing called the National Youth Drama School, which was happening at the school that I was. Um, at oh, I didn't know at, you you went there. Oh, wow. yeah, that was my high school. Um, oh, cool. And and so it couldn't have been easy. I mean, there were, couldn't have been easier to step into it. I knew the guy running it. Um, there was a school, the campus, I knew very well because I'd been there for a year and a half or whatever it was at that point. Um, and he called me up a week before the this this drama school, which is an eight day school holiday program, um, was due to begin. And said you should come to this. Ask your parents. So I did, and they said yes, um, which I'm very grateful for, um, and stumped up 200 bucks or 150 bucks or whatever it was at that time um, to go, and I had no idea what to expect, and then um, met, uh, I think it was like 80 or 90 other students at that point um, who were very like-minded. It wasn't just one drama class that I was wandering past. It was, uh, you know, 90 mad kids from around New Zealand. Um, who were equally kind of excited. So this was up in uh, Hawke's Bay, which um, was, is, it's, it's fairly, I mean, big is just such a relative word. <laughs> At that point, in the early 2000s, um, it certainly felt a long way from anywhere else. Mm. Um, and there weren't loads of people, you know, in the area. Um, and there were a lot of other students from regional places in New Zealand who were there. And so for, for all of us who were there, it was kind of this, crazy moment of meeting all these like-minded people um, and that that was uh, that kicked things into overdrive even more um, and so I went back for four years that, that I was a high school student um, and that's a whole another story my, my journey with the, with the National Youth Drama School which we can go into if you want to. Yeah sure it's uh, <laughs> I, I didn't realize you you knew Ken mm. um, just to be clear for those listening it's Ken Keys. Uh, I'm going to roll my sleeves up, is it alright? Sure thing, I, I don't care about continuity, I'm, I'm just worried that they're going to fall off, that's, that's my biggest <laughs> worry. Um, yeah. So it's Ken Keyes that started the drama school, and he mm. was your drama teacher was. in your school. Mm. So not just... Mm. How... He had, he had the year before I got there, he had retired as head of drama, ah. um, but he was taking the after school drama um, class. Oh, I'm with you, I'm with you. And, and I was signed up to that. And is that linked to habit? As well, or was that a different kettle of fish? Uh, Habit was, was the Hawke's Bay Youth Theatre, which was a, a youth training company that Ken was also doing. So it was linked on that. He was running all these things. Okay. Being an energetic retiree that he was, even at that point. <laughs> and he's still going. That's and he's right. still going. That's right. Um, let's hear the rest of your NID story then. Sure. Sure. Um, and I, I will summarise. Um, so, so the year... So I was here as a student, mm -hmm. four years. Uh, and then I came down to Wellington University uh, and just being cheeky, I emailed the then artistic director, Claire Keyes, still artistic director, but she was artistic director then, yeah, yeah. and said, um, if you'd have me, um, I'd love to come help out mm -hmm. in any way. I can grab coffees or do whatever it was. Um, and she said, yeah, we'll, we'll have you along. Come on down. And she put me as an assistant tutor in the improv class um, for, for that year and the, and the following year. Um, which was amazing. It was amazing. I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> I think my first, must be the first time I saw you perform, was mm. in an improv class. It must have been Laurie's improv class mm. as a student. Mm, mm. 
Uh, and it actually, it might have been before I came over, first of all, and it might have been the only thing I could find on YouTube mm. back in the dusty days of YouTube. Mm. Uh, and there's a clip of a very young you, mm -mm. which I might insert right here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, doing this, and in my eyes, you were Mr. Improv. You were the funniest man I had ever seen in person. Um, <laughs> and and uh, so you come back, improv assistant. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, which was very good. And and such a I remember that that change from being a student among the populace and mm. having been there for four years. And so by the final year, you know, feeling quite like I owned the place and you know feeling very very confident and happy to be there. Um, then shifting to being an assistant uh, to somebody who's you know a, a, a proper professional actor <laughs> mm. um, and uh, I didn't say a word in that class as an assistant I think I just got lorry coffees and that first year um, and was just so happy to be there yeah and didn't think I could offer much and I was you know my first year down here and um, and I just kept showing up basically so I was Laurie's assistant for two years and um, and then my third year away from school um, I emailed Claire artistic director again and said um, you know, would love to come back, and she said, "Well, can you come be my assistant?" So, assistant uh, artistic director. Well, the the joke I've made since is, I don't know whether she wanted me to be assistant to the artistic director, or assistant artistic director. There's an important distinction. There is, that. there is. Um, and I definitely knew which one sounded better, and it was never kind of. Uh, Never clarified. Was never clar clarified. Uh, so, so I just kind of ran with uh, assistant artistic director and <laughs> helped out. And um, at some point, in the, uh, a couple of years later, I was invited onto the board as like a young person representative, um, and just kept and just stuck around. So I was her assistant for eight years. Um, wow. And on the board for about six, um, and then through various you know, changes of personnel. I became chair of the board for two years. Um, and that was during uh, the first couple of COVID years. Um, so it was a pretty intense time to start to learn about you know, governance and, and what some of that entails. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. that's pretty much the journey. So I just, I just didn't leave. Hello from the future or the present. Maybe your future, I don't know. A little update for you. Since recording this podcast about five months ago now, there's been some really exciting updates for Ben. He's currently explaining about his journey through the National Youth Drama School from being a student to an assistant tutor to a tutor to chair of the board and our assistant artistic director. However, on the last day of the National Youth Drama School 2023, Claire Keyes, who had been running it for... I believe about 15 years doing an amazing job, uh, handed over the baton to our very own Ben Fagan. So from this moment onwards um, and for NIDS 2024, Ben Fagan is the new artistic director. And if you're following him on various social medias, there's some really exciting things in the pipeline. So Ben, super proud of you, mate, and uh, very excited to see what is to come in the future. On with the podcast. Now, one thing that I've always uh, noticed about your journey through everything that you've done is your ability to embrace a network mm. of people. Um, and I wouldn't say that anybody over here is, I see as an active networker. Mm. I think there's a networking can be a dirty word sometimes. Mm, mm. And uh, I think of business cards and rooms full of lies, yeah. generally. Um, <laughs> but I think partly it's the culture over here mm. something you've always embraced and always used in a, a healthy way is you know keeping that network afloat mm. and then using it in a different I, I suppose it's pivoting how you you know that network um mm. a, a bit like our friendship as y young people there through to edinburgh through to because you were a student at the school Yes. Yourself. Exactly, and yeah. And went on a similar trajectory of then becoming an assistant. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely mm. right. Um, uh, would you say, with your network ability, mm. is that an active decision or is that um, just part of your culture, would you say? Uh, yeah, interesting question about is it cultural. Um, I've, I've made the joke a million times that my, my only skill in life 
is getting in touch. Mm. That's my only skill. <laughs> well, it's worked. It has. Mm. It's, it's, uh, it's, Don't put yourself people, down, mate. You, you do have it. a few other skills. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, but it has. It's just, you know, sending that email, stemming right back from that, probably that very first email to Claire, saying, you know, would, can, can I come get, get people coffees um, for the week this year? Um, it's just, it's, it's been a really rewarding thing. And it's, um, it's funny, like I, I, I'm in lots of ways a very solo agent. Mm. Um, I probably overthink things a lot and I probably, you know, do a lot of things in here rather than surrounding myself with a lot of people um, a lot of the time. Um, and this is probably, this is probably the one, yeah, and I don't, I don't want to think that it's just when it benefits me or when it's work related mm. because it's not because I, I've, I love kind of keeping in touch, like you say, um, and reaching out to people and it feels quite creative to me. I think that's what it is. It feels quite creative to think, oh, this person that I've met in this context at a drama school, at a poetry event, hey, they mentioned that they were a musician or they mentioned that they wanted to get into emceeing or MC work or they mentioned they wanted to start writing or whatever it is. Mm. It feels like an act of creativity to then to think, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get in touch with that person and mm. I'm going to say, hey, do you want to come be involved in this event or do you want to come to the UK with me or do you want to um, start start up a company or do you want to do whatever? Um, yeah, I've always, I'm sure we could drill, on, drill down into it, but I've always quite enjoyed that that linking up of things or linking up of people or ideas um, who you might not expect. Um, and the worst, you know, it's an old thing, but the worst people can say is no. Mm. Um, and if they do, great. People like to be thought of and people like to be included. Um, and the building of community is a really beautiful thing and it's something I've really I've really benefited from and really enjoyed being when I've been the community member, when I've been invited into a poetry community or when I've been like yourself bring me over to Edinburgh or mm. whatever it was. Um, and I, yeah, I love doing that for other people as well. And, and um, all we have is each other really when it, when it comes down to it, um, the whole world conspires to make arts not happen sometimes. Um, and, and there is a resilience, there is a strength in numbers. Um, especially for artists. I often think back to when I first reached out to you about coming over to Edinburgh, mm. and I don't think we'd actually spoken much more than a, a high five or something outside of the drama school. Mm. And I know I'm almost definite on that because I remember thinking oh, it would be brilliant. It was about a year and a half of planning mm. um, with John and um, and I remember thinking, wouldn't it be brilliant to have you over there? Because I'd seen you, um, I'm not sure if you had a book out, but I'd seen you perform. Mm. I, I know what I'd seen. I'd seen you do your initial few videos uh, of, was it called, was one of them Games? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and Dan, uh, Dan and Andy mm. filmed. Yeah, mm. I remember seeing that and thinking, brilliant. I would love that to be part of it. But I must have sat on messaging you for at least six months mm. going, it's going to be really awkward if he says no and I see him next year. And I was so nervous. And mm. straight away you came back and you were like, why, yes, of course, this sounds great. What, uh, when are you next in Wellington? And then I came and stayed for a night or two. Mm. Um, and I was so elated that you were on board. I was like, why would I ever pause and not ask and reach out again? Mm. And often when I'm a bit nervous about reaching out to people, I think back to that. 29 maybe 19 year old me mm. thinking oh no it can happen mm. and again the worst that you can say is no mm -hmm. um mm. now bringing it forward to today mm -hmm. the one thing that i love so much about having creative friends like yourself is that there are always so many surprises mm. you're a wonderful poet uh, a wonderful creative mind mm. but you very casually <laughs> you're welcome you very casually dropped in yesterday as we were walking home that you've written a book. Mm. Um, that, that, for me, popped out of nowhere. Sure. Are you able to tell us about what your 
this new <clears throat> chapter, new venture is for you at the moment? Sure, yeah. Um, I wrote poetry pretty solidly between 2012 and 2020. Mm. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it was very fortunate in, in being able to take that work all over the place and share it with a lot of people and put out a few wee chap books, which is what poets called kind of homemade, strung together printed pieces of paper with poems on them. Um, and then put out um, a, a longer collection in 2017 in the UK, which was wonderful. Um, and then my work had always kind of revolved around these ideas or themes of culture and of New Zealandness, um, often tied in with ideas about masculinity or um, ruralness, for want of a better word, or just kind of the, the things, my family basically, and, and my experience kind of growing up in semi-rural New Zealand. Um, yeah, and, and they'd kind of always, and, I, and I'd gotten a lot, of, uh, a lot of use out of those topics, um, and knowing that there were some core things I was writing about, even though um, I never quite put my finger on it. And so in, in 2018, 2019, um, I started to think, well, I'd be quite keen to specifically write a series of poems about Pākehā-ness. So Pākehā, um, broadly translated, is a New Zealand European, a white person from New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a, lots of different ways you can you can slice that, um, but it's a very very common term here for white person in New Zealand lives in New Zealand. Um, yeah, and and so I I thought well, I like the, I like the, I really like the title Pakeha 2020 because a I was quite keen to release it in 2020. Um, there's a sense of like 2020 hindsight, and, mm. and I really wanted to do a lot of like looking back on <laughs> um, on this history of colonization and you know why my family is here. Why am I here? Why are we here? Uh, yeah, and so through 2019 and 2020, I wrote and recorded these 10 um, poems, wrote and recorded to video, 10 poems about Pākehā-ness um, with uh, various different angles and lenses, um, which was really, really great. It was a really cool project. Um, I was really pleased with the outcome. I learned a lot. Um, I released them one a month for 10 months, which was... Um, a really big challenge <laughs> um, to get these, get these, get all the bits lined up so that I could have a product to then put on the internet um, every month for those ten months. But that was great. Um, you can watch them on the internet if you want to. I'll put a link. I will put a link. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and then and and I learned a lot about about Pakihanas, about colonisation, um, about the history of my family and and white people in this country. Um, what we left behind, what we lost on the way here, and the damage we did when we arrived. When we arrived, <laughs> I learned a lot about tetiriti or waitangi. I learned a lot about um, bees. I didn't learn about bees. Yeah, I learned a lot about colonization, um, and and a lot of it was really confronting. But but I could confront it in a very managed way because I was writing poetry that was nominally about myself and my mm. family. And so there was still a lot of like barriers in between me and the work in that way. Um, some people feel poetry is super revealing. Um, I've always found that I can structure things when I'm going to perform something in a way that I can hide as much or as little as I want to. So it never feels particularly frightening in that way, or at least in the way that I've pursued um, the written word up to that point. But I came out of the series wanting to learn more about it. Um, and I knew that I had just scratched the surface. Um, I knew that I had all these questions now and things I wanted to unpack. And I, and I really felt that poetry wasn't the medium in which I wanted to keep, keep doing this and keep unpacking these questions. Also, I wanted, I wanted a challenge. I'd been writing poetry for yeah, eight years um, by that point, and I I'd, um, was feeling slightly comfortable, I guess, in my style of writing at, at that time and wanted to just push myself. And so, yeah, I, I embarked on this project of creative nonfiction. Um, or personal essay, or whatever you, you want to call it, um, and it's yeah. And I haven't written; I've written maybe two or three poems since the end of twenty twenty, um, and have written a lot of words about Pakihanas, <laughs> Pakihatanga. Um, 
Yeah, which, which has been a massive challenge and someone who's come to writing from performance first. Um, go away, bees. Uh, no one claps. I said this to you yesterday. Yes. No one claps at any point. Um, which being, yeah, performance first is, is kind of kind of tricky mm. um, to maintain momentum and to maintain kind of energy for it. Doing so much creating that nobody sees in the process. Be gone. Yeah. Um, good. Yeah, it's a whole other way of working. Mm. I, I, mm. I, like, I, I won't do it again anytime soon. Um, <laughs> you know, on that... Uh, notion of clapping my uh, one of my saxophone tutors at the rncm rob buckland used to talk about when you're in uh, at the end of a performance and you have a round of applause you should bottle it in the same way that on the film monsters inc they have those scream bottles <laughs> and they capture the screams and that becomes mm. the energy you should really take and i think it's just uh, you know a mental uh game to play to actually absorb that energy and take it with you a bit because mm -hmm. over time then it fades away and then you kind of need to top it up and it's it's often a measure of uh, performer's success in a mm. sense so mm -hmm. i fully hear you about that mm. yeah yeah I, I think i should have done more bottling um in 2020 before we all, we all should have done <laughs> yeah true 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 yeah yeah so so it's been a, a big process um will it be published or not i don't know I don't know. Um, it, it, it will end up in the world in some way, whether mm. it remains as a um, chapter book um, or whether I turn it into something slightly different. Mm. Who knows? Um, we're kind of in, the, in all that chat with the publishers and all that now. Um, but it's, it's been an amazing... The, thing, the things that have come out of it have been amazing. The, the understanding of myself, where I'm coming from with all this, the understanding of my culture, the understanding of... Um, this big old experiment in New Zealand, um, the devastation of colonisation here and other places in the world, um, and the way that most like white populations <laughs> have their head in the sand about it, mm. um, here and in Canada and in Australia and all of this. Um, yeah, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. And it's actually been really hard recently to get back into performing. Oh, really? Really hard, yeah. It turns out three years of not doing something. <laughs> <laughs> who'd have thought it? Yeah, who'd have thought? Like it's uh, it's tricky to get to get words on on paper and get up and do stuff. And then out. One of the themes that I remember very vividly from your poetry is uh, about family and your connection to family. Mm. And I don't know if it's a UK thing, but I think there was and is a sense of oh, I'm cooler than my own family. Mm. Uh, I should go off and find my own way, and Maybe that's just a teenage thing in general, but the the poems that really stuck in my mind, and you performed it last in 2017, 18, when you performed in Manchester mm. on that day we filmed, or mm. around that time we filmed. <laughs> and it was the poems, I think you entitled it Texts from Dad. Mm. And that really, really emotionally hooked me. Mm. Um, I receive big texts from my dad and they're often so big, I actually have to take a moment to process them, <laughs> think about them, and then, bad of me, sorry, Dad, I don't always reply until I see him or I call him the next day or whatever. Mm. Um, but what, what that illustrated for me, you performing that vulnerability about texts from Dad, particularly that you're so far away from home, mm. is that kind of 21st century angle on... A, uh, a male male relationship mm. within a family which is really really hard to navigate mm. today mm -hmm. the you know what a good male role model looks like is exceptionally um, tricky to put your finger on mm. potentially from well from loads because of loads of different things mm. but I remember that as a topic that came through a, a few of your poems mm. that always really really stuck with me and it it made me stop to think a number of times over the years so thank you for bringing that to the surface because I wouldn't have thought about those things without hearing that from a peer essentially mm -hmm. you know um, mm. yeah it's a, it's a really of all the poems I wrote in that period or before then that's one of my oldest poems um, 
is the only one that I would still perform because it's not in my words. You know, it's not, I'm not going to go off it because it was a found poem. I went through a couple of years worth of text from my dad and, and assembled some, some of them mm. um, into this two minute piece. Um, yeah, it has this kind of, well, for me anyway, it has this kind of evergreen quality to it because it wasn't something that I was a 21 year old, you know, trying to piece together. It was something that had come from, come from dad. Um, yeah, and it, and it resonates, that one resonates with a lot of people, um, which I'm, I'm very grateful for. Um, and, and resonates for me and it's just the it's the, the 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 little acts of love that he describes there's it's such a it's, there's so much love in that poem but that word's never mentioned <laughs> nothing near yeah. that nothing near that word is never mentioned it's full of text saying things like don't forget to change your smoke alarm and um like be really careful when you when you cha when you take a trailer off and on a car you know because my mate you know stuffed his back when he did it 20 years ago or so there's really little things you know the ways that you can express love just through wanting to help somebody um hmm. i haven't been back to that poem in a long time maybe mm. i will after this another thing that you just reminded me of is um the notion of moving on as an artist mm. and you're no longer the artist that you once were which is a really good thing um but Vanessa again spoke about this yesterday. Sometimes you can create something, uh, particularly in, in music, um, you can write something that really meant something to you that day, mm. and then you might send it off to be mixed and mastered, and it'll come back uh, a long time in the future. And it's almost painful to to, mm -hmm. to go back to it because there's a sense of maybe not embarrassment, sometimes embarrassment potentially because you might have been particularly open that day, mm -hmm. um, or or you have just developed in a different way and you're no longer that person. And I remember having that conversation with you um, about, about some of the things we wrote um, oh, five, six years ago. Mm. And I hadn't considered it literally until that point. I was like, oh yeah, we're not those people anymore. Mm. So we could perform them or we could release them. Mm. But why? And it really made me think, and it made me think about how tricky some musicians, particularly popular ones, uh, pop, pop musicians, not just popular ones, <laughs> have it when they have to regurgitate the same song for years on the trot. Mm. That really is a, a tricky thing. So, yeah. would you say that is the only poem that you would you would go back to? Probably, certainly from that from like my first couple of years writing, mm. <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's amazing the ones that you. I found it really hard to tell which ones have a staying power and which ones don't. Mm. Um, I suppose you don't know until future you is there looking yeah. at them. Yeah. I guess some things you figure out at different points in your life and some things you have completely wrong and some things you never figure out. So um, the work you create is kind of falls along those lines sometimes. Yeah, totally. You're holding a book. I am holding a book, which is sponsored. You can get 10% off this lovely Dingbats notebook if you put in Jamie Ten at checkout. Uh, please do, because it gives me a tiny little bit of money, and I really appreciate it. Um, this book, Ben, is my guest book, and each person oh, there I am. Uh, each person that comes onto the podcast, we take a Polaroid, which mm -hmm. we'll do in a little while, um, and they write a question for a future creative, mm. um, and I'm going to choose one for you, and then you can write one in the same. Great, sounds good. Um, Kelsey wrote two, hmm. so I'm going to give you the one I didn't give to Vanessa. Her first question, I might ask you the second one, I'll see, is what advice would you give your younger self? What advice? Hmm. Something that I think I've benefited from in my journey so far <laughs> is really not having been tied to a particular destination. Um, I figured out pretty early on at school that I didn't want to be an actor or a, or a um, famous musician. <laughs> um, didn't have the talent <laughs> nor the drive. Um, and well, I guess that was that th they were roles that uh, are often touted as 
you know, that this is the be all and end all of of a profession, yes. of a performing profession or a creative profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and because that was that was never going to be the answer for me, um, it was quite f- freeing um, to just kind of take it take it a little bit as it as it comes. Um, which is why to loop it right back to the start, when people say, "What do you do?" I just say, "I work in the arts," because there's a lot of different, you know. You wear a lot of hats and, um, yeah, and, and so I think, but, but there's always anxiety wrapped up in that, you know, I'm not doing enough, I'm not pursuing these other avenues that some of my peers are to, to get ahead the, you know, auditions or um, applying for things or whatever it is. And, um, and that, I, I, you know, <laughs> easy to say looking back, but a lot of that's just a waste of time and energy. Um, comparing yourself to other people and feeling anxious for other people's opportunities, <laughs> which were never going to be yours. Mm. Um, so yeah, my advice for my younger self would probably be, you know, stay the course, follow your gut. I really like that. And it's so true. It's so cliche, but we all walk different paths. Mm. And if you are comparing yourself to another person's path, it's the, mo- it's the most idiotic thing you can do because you're not on the same. You're not doing the same race, mm. mate. You're not. You're not even going in the same direction. Mm. Um, I think it's really important to to remind yourself of, of that. Mm. Um, I'm going to ask you a second one. Go on from Kels. <laughs> Do you think you celebrate your achievements enough? Ooh. And what are you most proud of? Oh my gosh. Mm. Professionally, creatively. Sure. <laughs> um, because I have a wonderful almost two-year-old in there who's a real sweetheart. I'm very proud of him. Um, do I celebrate them enough? Um, well, probably not. Probably not. Sometimes they're quite hard to spot. You know, mm. a, a lot of what I've been working on for the last few years um, have been really slow burn things. You know, there was no point at the end of this long, very insular writing process yet <laughs> where I felt kind of done or like I've achieved something because mm. um, it it's, it's not out there I guess or it's not published which is probably a, the wrong way to look at it but um, but equally with Motif or you know building these kind of national networks of poetry events and things it's a really slow burn you know it takes years to mm. establish communities I think it's the same anywhere but certainly in New Zealand you know it, it takes a couple of years for people to kind of remember you or that you've popped up enough times that you think you know it's there's an expectation that it's going to keep happening um at hawks, hawks bay f- for instance where we run events um they're in their fifth year now and there's local producers there now who are who are going to run the events this year so the first time that we haven't been hands-on involved and that's taken the five years um and that's a i think that's a really great thing <laughs> It's, it's not a thing that kind of happened or a line in the sand or a, you know, a big silver cup. Um, but, but it's, yeah, but I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of that. And I'm, um, it's, it's also, I think in the arts or when you're putting stuff out there, you, you don't quite know how it's landing necessarily. Mm. And you don't quite know the effects it's going to have, the ripples it's going to have, you know, that the quiet person in the audience for whom that's what they saw that night or, or someone in the open mic, what they got to share that night. You don't know for whom it's actually an extremely profound, life-changing experience. You know they're out there, probably at every event. <laughs> you know, it's a really big deal for somebody. Um, but sometimes you don't know until 10 years later. Sometimes you never know. Um, and you've just got to have an element of, of um, faith that, that, that uh, you know, making a difference. Just before we finish, I've, I, I'm aware that... We've spoken about a whole massive part of your creative life. Mm. But another thing that you do do mm. is you have another big job. Yeah. Which is to work with, actually, do you want to explain what it is just briefly? The choirs. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Sure. Not, not the late, no, no, we're not going to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, for the last few years, um, I've been um, pretty uh, gamefully employed at uh, Choirs Aotearoa New Zealand, so managing our three national choirs, the New Zealand Secondary Students Choir, the New Zealand Youth Choir, and Voices New Zealand Chamber Choir. Um, I, I haven't worked in classical music before, this job. Um, it's been a wonderful couple of years. I mean, these are just extraordinary groups of people um, working at the highest level of choral singing 
in this country um, and at, you know, at, a, at an international level. Um, I've been doing marketing for them um, and it's, it's, it's been fascinating. You know, there's huge similarities to other art sectors that I've worked in, theatre, literature um, and big differences too. Um, it's a very different beast when you're working with orchestras compared to a poetry slam mm. when there's one person on stage um, and you're dealing with opera singers versus actors. You know, there's, there's big similarities and big differences. Um, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, it's, uh, it's, it's been a really, a very interesting and wonderful journey being taken outside my comfort zone and, and um, learning as well, you know, just in another, another instance about how this different kind of national organisation works and funding structures and all those boring but very exciting things. You know, mm. sometimes when I'm doing a funding application for Motif or for anyone, I feel like I'm writing 10 poems at once because I know that there's 10 poems that are going to be written that wouldn't have otherwise been written um, if we can get this, you know, an event off the ground. Um, and also just working with all these young people. I mean, two of the three choirs uh, are full of, you know, 14 to 24 year olds. Um, and uh, yeah, future's in great hands because there's a lot of really wonderful people um, doing a lot of really great work in that space. It, it's, a, it's a big old job. and. Yeah. Uh, they sound amazing. I've 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 seen a, a bunch of videos only online. Um, I've not seen heard them in person. Mm. I'm sure it's just as wonderful in person. Mm. But um, stunning choirs, stunning organisation to be part of. Mm. But I I think it's so important. Somebody like yourself that is such a creative, um, lead driven person, an artist in your own right. Uh, you've got motif on the go. You've got all of these different plates spinning. Mm. You're also doing a job within the arts, mm. but that has essentially nothing to do with it. Obviously, you can bring skills across, mm. but you did a wonderful thing, which is you took your poetry and mm. their music, and you did a a video, which I'll again I'll stick 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 a link uh, in the description, mm. just to finish it off with. You mm. want to explain what that was? Yeah, sure. So it was part of that series, Parker Twenty Twenty, that I was talking about. Um, at the end of uh, every three years with the New Zealand Youth Choir, um, there's an international tour. Um, and so at the end of 2019, just squeezing it in before everything happened, <laughs> um, uh, the choir had always wanted a tour in the Pacific, um, around the Pacific Islands. Um, but with these 50 people in the choir, plus support staff, um, and not a lot of planes flying between islands regularly, um, and so they hadn't, hadn't managed it in their, in their 40 something year history. Uh, and so our chief executive, um, Anna Herman, um, had the great idea and and you know we pulled it together to make it happen that they were booked on a cruise ship that was doing the circuit from New Zealand around Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, um, where else, New Caledonia and a couple of other islands and then ending in Sydney um, and they were booked to be uh, performers on the ship um, for a week and a half, two weeks. Um, it was extraordinary. It was an extraordinary experience. Um, the choir and the staff were booked as guests instead of um, uh, staff, uh, which meant that we got to have a nice time on the ship as well, um, which was fantastic. A big theatre on the ship and mm. you know, these cruise ships, they're ridiculous. Um, yeah, but also um, it, it meant that um, I had a captive audience to talk them into um, collaborating. Um, usually, you know, if they were touring in Europe or touring in America, um, you never ha you very rarely have them all together. Um, whereas when you're on a ship, you know, you've, you've kind of got a sense of where they are. Um, so I pitched it to the music director, um, David Squire, um, and he was um, up for it, which I'm very grateful for. Um, I had written a poem to take on the boat with me for the choir, um, dedicated to the choir, um, and learned it. And so when the moment came, um, and I could just say, like, hey, we've got an hour free, um, would you be up for collaborating on this piece? I kind of, I had all my ducks in a row that I could get up and I um, met a filmmaker who's making a documentary about the choir on that trip with us, um, who became a good friend and he was up for filming it too. So he filmed it and we put it all together. And it's, it's um, I mean, on one sense, it's, it, it was uh, very rough and ready, you know, because it was all in the moment. Mm. Um, the poem was all there in my performance um, and we just, and the choir sounds fantastic and, mm. uh, you know, some of the best singers in the country. Um, but we kind of pieced it together and made it work in a, in a very short amount of time. Um, but yeah, but I, I, I've had a lot of feedback on that and, and it's been a, it was a really wonderful, 
um, and very unique experience to be able to, to put my words with that choir, a very storied choir in this country, um, and, and quite a well-known one as choirs go in New Zealand. Um, so yeah, it's a beautiful experience. It was a wonderful collaboration to see, and it, I found it particularly moving. So mm. well done for uh, thank you for doing that. It's uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. Thank you for your time today, You're welcome. Um, and thank you for your hospitality, and thank you for the the lovely sunny weather it's we've been had. Good, hasn't it? Yeah. And none of your cameras have fallen over from the wind. I know. I... <laughs> so it, that's good. That is good. That one's sitting on a on a camp chair, balanced on a little kid's slide. Yeah, um, yeah. I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take my phone out and film the, the behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, so you can see what this looks like. But, uh, yeah, there we go. If you're still listening, thank you so so much. Please like, share, subscribe, do all the all the things, and go and check out Ben's work. Where where can they find you? Benfagan.nz. There you go. Um, <laughs> please do go check out his stuff because it is particularly beautiful and I know I've learned a bunch from your art so thank you wherever you are in the world thank you so much for listening remember to create with people connect with people but most importantly be exactly you until the next time peace peace nice man boom now that boom Nice. Thank you You're so welcome. much. It got really warm at one yeah, point. Oh my god! I was like, oh god! <laughs> I can't believe they've all. Oh, let me uh, let me get my phone. I'm gonna film this. It's hilarious. I wonder if he'll be awake. Possibly. Nothing. Here we go. Camera one. Camera two for my favourite. Camera three. On the road. <laughs>